I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel chapter 22. If you have a pew Bible, it is on page 1,320. 1,320. Ezekiel 22, we're going to begin reading at the 23rd verse, reading through to the end. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profane my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plaster them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy. And they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with a fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. So far, the reading of his holy word. Imagine yourself a soldier in the ancient world. You're within the walls of a city that's under attack. The enemy is pounding the wall with their battering rams, trying to break through. With each blow of the battering ram, the wall becomes weaker. A small section of the wall begins to crumble. Then it happens. The battering ram smashes through the wall, opening up a portion for the enemy to pass through. As a soldier, what is your duty at this time? Are you going to stand and watch as the enemy marches in to destroy the city? Or are you going to shout to your people within the walls that all is well, and that the small break in the wall is really nothing to worry about? Or are you going to tell your people that the break in the wall is only an illusion? Nothing to get too concerned about. Or are you just going to carry on with life in your city as you've always done? Well, the answer is rather obvious, isn't it? If you're a soldier, 
Your duty, your duty is to rush forward as quickly as possible, to stand in the gap, to defend your city, to fight valiantly so as to push back the enemy. You are called to do all that is possible to defend and repair the breach. Even if no one stands with you, your duty is to do your utmost to hold back the enemy and attempt to save the city. As a soldier, you know what the alternative is. If you don't stand in the gap, there will be certain destruction. If you don't attempt to reinforce the wall, there will be certain death. With your help, determination, persistence, and courage, the city may be spared. Your contribution to repairing the breach may be the difference between life and death for numerous people. Well, congregation, in the days of the prophet Ezekiel, the nation of Judah was like a city that is on the verge of destruction. There was a dangerous breach in the moral and spiritual wall of the nation. The people were guilty of every conceivable sin, covenant breakers who lived in violation of God's law. The Lord had appointed men to be watchmen for the house of Israel, but none of them seemed to realize the seriousness of the problem. Indeed, most of them were part of the problem. The Lord had appointed prophets, priests, and kings to maintain the spiritual life of the people, but in the days of Ezekiel, they were largely apostate. As God looked upon the nation, He could find no one to stand in the gap. Look with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 30 of Ezekiel 22. Verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. But I found no one. Judah needed a mediator, but no one could be found. They needed someone to stand between God and the city. Judah needed a wall builder, but there was no one, no one to repair the breach. Now, the words of verse 30 do not mean to suggest that there was no one at all left in Judah who was righteous. Ezekiel's contemporary, the prophet Jeremiah, was faithfully proclaiming the word of God. Those associated with Jeremiah were also concerned about the spiritual condition of the nation, and there were others. There were others among God's faithful remnant who were appalled by the sins of Judah. But comparatively, there were so few who were godly that it appeared as though there was no one at all who truly cared about God's word. It seemed as though no one valued, cherished truth. The numbers were so few, and the call to repentance so muffled that the Lord said, there is no one, there is no one to make a wall, and there's no one to stand in the gap. The prophets failed, the priests failed, the princes failed, and the people. Prophets, priests, princes, and people. They were all on the same road leading to destruction. There was corruption in every office and on every level. As we consider this, brothers and sisters, 
we see the desperate need for the great mediator, the supreme intercessor, the faithful wall builder. We see the need for one who is able to stand in the gap to deliver God's people from his wrath. The prophets, priests, princes, and people, they were leaving the city exposed to the anger of God. Their conduct was truly deplorable, but in their failure, our eyes are directed to him who is the great prophet, the only high priest, and the eternal king. With this thought in mind, let's have a closer look at the words of our text. We read in verse 23 these now familiar words. Have a look. Verse 23, and the word of the Lord came to me. The words that follow do not flow from Ezekiel's imagination, no. They are the words of the living God. The word of the Lord came to me. The Lord said to Ezekiel, verse 24, Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. Now another translation says, Son of man, say to the land, you are a land that has had no rain or showers in the day of wrath. Why the mention of no rain or showers? Well, you'll recall that in the Old Testament, rain to water the land was one of the great covenant blessings. The withholding of rain was a manifestation of God's covenant curse. Leviticus 26 verse 19 says, If you do not obey me, I will punish you for your sins. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. Also, Deuteronomy 28, 30, 23, And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. The withholding of rain was a curse from the Lord. Verse 24 is therefore indicating that Judah is under God's covenant curse. In the days of Ahab and Jezebel, you recall that story, Elijah proclaimed a drought upon the land because of Israel's apostasy. It did not rain for three and a half years. The land was scorched and withered, a sign that God's curse rested upon them. That is the meaning of verse 24. Ezekiel had to tell the land of Judah that they were under God's covenant wrath. You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. Then, in verses 25 and following, the prophet goes out to point out those who were especially responsible for Judah's condition. He begins by exposing the failure of the prophets, careless prophets, point number one. Look with me, please, to verse 25. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. The Lord had raised up prophets in the Old Testament to be shepherds of his flock. They were to lead, feed, and protect God's people. 
They were appointed as mediators to accurately, boldly, and lovingly communicate the word of the Lord to the people. If the prophets were faithful, they would be a source of great blessing. If they rightly proclaimed the requirements of God's covenant, if they boldly preached repentance and faith, then they would be a means of preservation and healing in the land. Sadly, in the days of Ezekiel, the vast majority of the prophets were more like lions who, re- who destroyed the flock than shepherds who cared for them. In verse 25, they are compared to a roaring lion, tearing the prey, devouring the people. Instead of rescuing the sheep from dangerous predators, they devoured them. Instead of protecting the sheep, as shepherds are called to do, they tore them to pieces. Rather than demonstrating the love and care of the great shepherd, the Lord of Israel, they seriously damaged the flock of God. Verse 25 reminds me of Peter's description of Satan in the New Testament. Peter says that he walks about as what? A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan is the great enemy of the church, the hate-filled opponent of God's people. His goal is to destroy the flock of the Lord, to tear the sheep in pieces. The majority of the prophets in the days of Ezekiel were unwitting instruments in the hands of Satan. Instead of healing and blessing the sheep, they destroyed them, brought a curse upon them. Instead of leading the sheep into green pastures, they led them into a wilderness of death. Instead of instructing the people of God in sound doctrine so that they would live in a manner that was good and pleasing to the Lord, the prophets led them into paths of iniquity, which would be their eternal ruin. Verse 25 also says that they have taken treasure and precious things. They were more interested in material wealth and spiritual wealth. They received the people's money and and they pursued their own personal gain. The end of verse 25 even describes them as murderers. They have made many widows in her midst. The prophets were conducting themselves shamefully. Instead of guiding the people to eternal life, they were leading them to eternal death. Instead of standing in a gap and repairing the breach, thereby averting the judgment of God, the prophets only enlarged the breach, exposing the nation to further danger. Verse 28 describes how the prophets covered up sin and how they prophesied falsely. We read, verse 28, have a look at this, verse 28, that her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. The prophets plastered them with untempered mortar. Another translation says, her prophets whitewashed these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. The prophets whitewashed the dark stains of Judah's sins. Instead of condemning them, they covered them over with whitewash. They spoke pleasant words to the people which God had not put in their mouths. They declared that the Lord had spoken through them when in fact the Lord had not spoken. 
You'll recall that in verses 1 through 12 of this chapter, we saw how the Lord set forth a list of sins that were prominent in the land. There was bloodshed, idolatry, disregard for father and mother, oppression of the stranger and helpless, Sabbath-breaking, sexual impurity, perversion, the sin of slander. There was also bribery, usury, and extortion. The land was filled with iniquity. But the prophets covered it over with their whitewash. They told the people in God's name that all was well. They could carry on as they were. They told the leaders that God was with them. God was with them. They ignored the sins of the leaders, and they were thus guilty of whitewash. They proclaimed the cheerful things that the leaders and the people wanted to hear. They brought happy, positive, and uplifting messages. And as they did so, they claimed the authority of God, even though God had not spoken. By saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken, the prophets were condemning themselves. In Deuteronomy 18, the Lord said, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, that prophet shall die. To speak in the name of the Lord falsely was a sin that required the sentence of death. The Lord was not to be misrepresented. To whitewash sin in the name of the Lord was to distort His holy character. Congregation, how much whitewashing is found in churches today? How often are pleasant words spoken from the pulpit in the name of God, even when the iniquities of the people are repulsive in His sight? How often are happy, positive, cheerful messages delivered even when God's word is ignored? We need to remember that sin can only be covered through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot whitewash sin. Only Jesus can make you whiter than snow. He alone can make you pure. Recently, I was reading a book by a Scottish preacher of the 1900s, William Still, on the work of the pastor. He said this, listen. The pastor is called to feed the sheep, even if the sheep do not want to be fed. He is certainly not to become an entertainer of goats. Let goats entertain goats and let them do it out in goat land. You will certainly not turn goats into sheep by pandering to their goatishness. Do we really believe that the word, the word of God by His Spirit changes as well as maddens men? If we do, to be evangelists and pastors, feeders of sheep, we must be men of the Word of God. We must be men of the Word of God. You will certainly not turn goats into sheep by pandering to their goatishness. So, first of all, our text shows us the failure of the prophets to stand in the gap to repair the breach, careless prophets. Then secondly, Ezekiel goes on to expose the failure of the priests, lawless priests. 
Look with me in your Bibles to verse 26. Verse 26. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. The priests had a very special place in the nation of Israel. They had the task of ministering before the Lord in the temple. They were in charge of the worship of God. It was their solemn task to keep the nation pure in their worship. To do this, they had to teach the people the law of God and His desire for holy living. They had to teach them the difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy, and they had to remind them of the sanctity of the Sabbath. But tragically, brothers and sisters, the priests in the days of Ezekiel were violating the very law that they were called to teach. They openly broke it and profaned God's holy things. They neglected the distinctions between good and evil, clean and unclean, and they also neglected God's Sabbaths. By disregarding the sacred things of the Lord, they were all like the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, who perished because they failed to honor the holy things of God. And therefore, the worship and service of the priests was completely unacceptable to the Lord. Congregation, why was the task of the priests in the Old Testament so special? Because through them, the gospel of Christ was visibly portrayed. Through the ministry of the priests, the way of salvation was made known to the people. The priests had the duty of offering sacrifices for sins. Their sacrifices taught the way of salvation through the death of an innocent victim. The blood of the sheep and goats reminded the people that they were guilty and deserved the just punishment of God. But through the death of the innocent victim, their life was spared. The lamb was slain in their place. It stood as a substitute for guilty sinners. The sacrifices of the Old Testament impressed upon the people that sin produces death. Sin is very serious. But the sacrifices also taught the message of grace. By the astonishing grace of God, an innocent substitute could be offered in the sinner's place. The Old Testament worshipers knew that the, the goat or lamb was not that substitute, but it pointed forward to it. Jesus is the only perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for sin, the only true substitute. Congregation, the priests had the privilege of presenting that message before the nation of Israel. And they themselves were constantly reminded of that message as they ministered before the Lord. They were reminded of both judgment and grace. But sadly, the priests of the days of Ezekiel had lost sight of that message. 
They no longer took sin seriously, and consequently they no longer understood their need of grace and their need for that perfect substitute, Jesus Christ. Instead of directing the nation to Him, instead of magnifying His grace in the sight of the people and promoting the righteous requirements of God, the priest set an example of recklessness. They violated God's law, made no distinctions between holy and unholy, and terribly distorted the pure worship of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, how grievous it is when leaders in the church do not take seriously the word of the Lord and the gospel of Christ. How grievous it is when the shepherds openly violate the law and teach God's people fail to teach God's people the difference between the holy and unholy, the clean and the unclean, the pure and the impure. How dangerous it is where they do not honor God's holy day of worship and fail to delight in and proclaim the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. The leaders of God's people blur the distinctions between the church and the world and live lives of godlessness and immorality. We are only opening the gap and widening the breach so that God's judgment will break forth upon His people. So, are you all with me? I see a few people sleeping here this afternoon. Are you with me? Maybe nudge your neighbor for a moment. First of all, our text shows the failure of the prophets to stand in the gap. Secondly, the failure of the priests. And then thirdly, Ezekiel goes on to condemn the failure of the princes, ruthless princes. Look at verse 27. It'll help you stay awake if you track with me here in the text, okay? So have your Bible open before you, and let's look together at verse 27. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. In verse 25, the prophets were compared to roaring lions, and now in verse 27, the princes are compared to wolves tearing the prey. The princes in Israel were those who held the position of influence and power. They were government governing officials who should have used their position to protect God's people and maintain order and justice in the land. You could say that the princes represented what? The kingly office. The kingly office. Because of their influential position, they could have done much to curb evil in the land and promote the honor of God. They could have labored to bring about godly reformation. But Ezekiel tells us in verse 27 that serving God was the furthest thing from their minds. He was not the center of their thoughts and life. They were not mindful of the fact that their position was given by God and their authority was by His appointment. They used their position to satisfy their own selfish desires 
and to make money at the expense of others. Like hungry wolves, they tore apart the flock. They oppressed the people and shed innocent blood all for the sake of dishonest gain. The princes lived for the things of this life. They did not take seriously the fact that the ruler of the kings of the earth was watching their conduct and would one day require of them an account. They lived for this world, for the present. They foolishly accumulated wealth instead of seeking the spiritual well-being of God's people. Rather than building up the kingdom of God, they broke it down. Instead of demonstrating the righteous and benevolent rule of the Lord, they exhibited greed and selfish ambition. Congregation, God was the true king and ruler of Israel. Earthly kings and princes were to reflect in their governing the righteousness and justice of Yahweh. The Lord told the kings of Israel that they were to have a, a copy of what? God's law, so that they could meditate on it and apply His standard in the land. That same standard was to be upheld and honored by the princes, the various governing officials. But in the days of the prophet Ezekiel, neither the king nor the princes honored the divine law. They were wolves among sheep. And so, brothers and sisters, we see from these verses that all three of the offices in Israel were corrupt. The prophetic office, the priestly office, and the kingly office. These were men who should have been mediators and intercessors for the house of Israel. They should have pleaded with the Lord for the sake of His people, punished evildoers, and praised the righteous. These were the men who should have repaired the breach and the moral and spiritual condition of the nation, thereby turning away the wrath of God. They should have repaired and rebuilt the house of Israel. The offices of prophet, priest, and king were very important in the Old Testament because all three of them pointed forward to Jesus Christ. As we saw a few weeks ago, he is the great prophet predicted in Deuteronomy 18, the true high priest predicted in Psalm 110, and the eternal king predicted in Psalm 2. He is the prophet superior to Moses, the priest superior to Aaron, and the king superior to David. The people of God were to see in the prophets, priests, and kings of the Old Testament a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, in the days of Ezekiel, these offices were a disgrace. They proclaimed lies concerning the promised Messiah. And therefore, we see, fourthly, the failure of the people. Careless prophets, lawless priests, and ruthless princes produced godless people. Follow along with me, please, in your Bible at verse 29. Verse 29. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. Does it surprise you? Does it surprise you that the people of the land were apostate, self-centered rebels? Does it surprise you that they ignored the Word of God and mistreated each other? 
think it surprises us at all. If the spiritual leaders are corrupt, it usually follows that the people will be spiritually and morally corrupt. If the shepherds are blind and lost, it stands to reason that the sheep go astray. They wander in every direction. No, it should not surprise us that the people of the land were covenant breakers. As the leaders, so the people. If the shepherds do not love the Lord and His gospel, it stands to reason that the people do not love the Lord and His gospel. Does that excuse the common people? Not at all. Every individual has the obligation to live faithfully before the Lord. We are all responsible for our actions. Even when the leadership fails, the people have a duty to open their Bibles and remain steadfast in their personal lives. But the unfortunate reality is that the people often go the way of the leaders. When the leaders fail, the people fail. When the leaders backslide, the people backslide. Therefore, when God looked upon the nation of Israel in the days of Ezekiel, He came to the conclusion that from the highest circles to the lowest, all were guilty. The Lord looked for someone who could make a difference, someone who could rescue Judah from the coming destruction. Look once again with me to verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. No one. The Lord looked for a mediator who would protect his people from destruction, one who would turn aside the wrath that was about to descend on the land, but he found no one. Therefore, we find a declaration of judgment in verse 31. Let's keep reading. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Without a mediator, the judgment is inevitable. Without a wall builder, the indignation is inescapable. Without someone in the gap, the fire of God's wrath is unavoidable. Congregation, as we consider these things, we are reminded of our own great need today. As Israel needed a mediator to stand in the gap, so we need a mediator to stand between us and the Lord. In the days of Ezekiel, no suitable mediator could be found, but we know that with the coming of Jesus, we have such a mediator. He came into this world to stand in the gap between God and man. Christmas is an opportunity to reflect upon that. Jesus came to intercede for his people and to repair the breach so as to hold back the wrath of God. In John 17, we see Jesus acting as a mediator. When he pleaded with his heavenly Father for the sake of his people, he said, I pray for them. 
for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, Father. I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the faithful mediator. He made intercession for the sake of his people. And the author of Hebrews tells us that even now he continues to intercede at the right hand on behalf of his own. His atoning sacrifice has won for him the right to come before his Father's presence to plead for us. Yes, congregation, we have a mediator. One who stands in the gap between God and man. One who turns away the wrath of the Lord. Christ is our faithful prophet, priest, and king. Praise be to God that in him we have one who reconciles us to God. All who look to him by faith are at peace with the Lord. And so I ask you, have you done that? Have you done that? Have you put your faith in him? Have you recognized your need for one to stand in the gap between you and the Lord? If you have, knowing that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ, you are then to intercede for others. As Christ intercedes for us, you are to plead for sinners and you are to plead for the sake of the church. In Psalm 106, we read of how the Israelites in the wilderness worshiped the golden calf and forgot God their Savior. And the Lord said that he would destroy them. Children, why and how were they saved? Why and how were they saved? Listen, Psalm 106, verse 23. Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he destroy them. Hear that? Moses, reflecting the heart and the mind of Jesus, stood in the breach. Isn't that also your calling today? You are to intercede for those who are perishing. You are to stand in the gap, stand in the breach, so that others may be spared from the judgment of God. Christ is the great supreme intercessor, and we are to follow our Savior's example. People of God, do you stand in the gap for the sake of others? Do you plead for those who are wayward, wandering, backsliding? Do you ask that God would be merciful? Intercessors were needed in the days of Ezekiel, and intercessors are also needed today. Pray for the church of Jesus Christ. Pray for the work of missions. Plead with the Lord that the Lord would show mercy to sinners. 
Pray for those who are hardening their heart to the gospel. Pray for your wayward sons, your wayward daughters, or grandchildren. Implore God for our nation. Jesus is the great mediator and intercessor. Follow his example so that the wrath of God may be turned aside. Stand in the gap, congregation, for the salvation of sinners and the glory of God. Stand in the gap, repair the breach, and turn aside the holy, burning indignation of the Lord. Stand in the gap. Let's pray. What a blessing it is to know, Heavenly Father, that we have one who stood in the gap for us. And one who continues to make intercession for us. We thank you for our great prophet, our supreme high priest, our eternal king. We think of your church at the time of Ezekiel when the leadership had so terribly wandered from the truth of the word. Pray that you would keep us steadfast today. Lord, when we see corruption in the prophets and the priests and the princes, it stands to reason that the people are corrupt as well. So we pray for the leadership here at Bethel. Help us to be faithful so that your people would be eager to hear the truth, to apply the truth, that through faithful, godly leadership here, your people would be led into those green pastures. And Lord, we pray that knowing knowing our Savior, our mediator, our intercessor, the one who stood in the gap, stands in the gap for us, may we be mediators and intercessors also. May we be men, women, and children who stand in the gap for, on behalf of others to plead for sinners, to plead for the church of Christ, to plead on behalf of the wayward, May we be eager and zealous for your name and for the salvation of sinners. Hear us, Lord. Bring about conviction where we need it. Bring about comfort where we need it. Cause us all to focus on our true prophet, priest, and king. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for fulfilling all that had been neglected so badly in previous centuries, fulfilling it perfectly through your obedience. We rest in you, our Savior. Amen.
join all the glorious names. Let's stand to sing number 377. 377.